You're listening to the RSA Conference podcast, where the world talks security. Hello, and welcome to the RSA Conference podcast. Thanks for joining us. This is Hugh Thompson, RSA Conference Program Committee Chair, and I am joined by my co-host, Britta Glade. Hey, Britta. Hello, Hugh. Oh, good to talk to you again. And Britta is the Director of Content and Curation for RSA Conference. And today, in the spirit of this holiday season, we're tackling hackers and threats with two of the luminaries from our field, James and Mario. Gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us today. And James, if you could introduce yourself to our listeners. Most certainly, pleasure to uh, to be here for this uh, this holiday special. Uh, I'm slightly terrified to be on a, a panel with uh, with Mario as well and being addressed as a luminary. But uh, uh, my name is James Lyne, and I'm the head of R&D at SANS, the Global Research Advisor at Sophos. Spend most of my time ripping apart malware and exploits, generally looking at what cyber criminals are up to, and then invariably ranting about it somewhere. Oh, great! Well, this is a great spot to do that. And Mario, thank you for joining. Let me turn it over to you. Thank you for having me. Uh, and I'm uh, really terrified of what James uh, just said, but let's see what happens next. <laughs> so my name is Mario Buxen. I am the uh, founder and CEO at Traversing Labs, a uh, company where we focus ourselves on daily uh, malware uh, analysis and uh, really dissection of all sorts of different threats. And, yeah, hopefully that should be a good start, you know, for our interaction. It is. And I, I really love, Hugh, when we can start with our contestants scared. We've achieved what we – because that's yeah. what the spirit of Hackers and Threats is all about, right? That's the goal. That's the goal. <laughs> Excellent. are so scared so from we, one another. Exactly. We have our contestants here with us. We decided, you know, it's the end of the year. We need to have some fun with our podcast. So we're playing a word game today. And gentlemen, start your engines. We're going to be throwing a variety of words and phrases past you to comment on what you see their impact to be on the world of cybersecurity next year. So get those crystal balls out. You both deal with malware every day. You're going to have some thoughts here. Some of these words and strategies are already being embraced or exploited by the bad guys. Some are trends that we are seeing as potentially disruptive or impactful. And some, we're just going to try to have some fun here and stump you because it is the season of giving after all, right? So you're welcome to join the fun and gifts of words and phrases for comment to your fellow guests as well. You all understand the rules. Ready, play. Mario, IOCs. Well, IOC, IOC is, you know, uh, one of those words just like a rotary telephone that is likely going to go out of uh, scope. And the real problem of IOC is, is that, you know, we worked so hard in uh, figuring out how to scale, generate infrastructure to uh, acquire as many of these so-called IOCs, which turns out are in uh, greatest extent IP addresses, domains, and only sometimes uh, hashes. Now, given the way the world is moving into uh, hybrid clouds, uh, uh, scalable VMware-based, you know, or Azure, AWS, um, Google App Engine uh, world, 
the value of uh, domain or IP address is extremely ephemeral. So what you know keeps happening is what keeps happening is that most organizations are simply collecting the data in their front office, never inject, ingesting it, never making uh, uh, good on the promise of actual threat exchange, and effectively are using uh, IOCs as sort of you know referential search engine. And in that regard, in my opinion, they've actually failed their uh, uh, existence. Well, I'm going to I'm going to jump in and tag on the end of that. I mean, there's lots of things I can't really argue with there. I've definitely seen lots of people collecting vast volumes of data in support of of IOC programs with the general attitude of collect more, know more, and at some point, um, some magic unicorn team will turn this into useful intelligence. Or the other one, of course, which, which may maybe appear later, machine learning will magically turn these into useful things. Uh, and it's not to, to rubbish the concept that there might be some, some gems in there and some useful data, um, but just hoping uh, on a term to turn data collected in the broader sense into something targeted and valuable isn't, isn't necessarily going to pay dividends. Um, I've seen some interesting behaviors with researchers starting to use indicators of compromise as indicators of coolness. Uh, there you go, redefinition, um, looking for particularly interesting, more specific signs of attack uh, based on more interesting recent techniques, so a bit more a bit more targeted rather than the collect everything, looking at domains and IPs, looking at behaviors at host level. Um, and I wonder if this is going to see some revolution of behavior and technology um, to make it compelling once again or if it will just kind of slowly go the way of, of less valuable data and turn into one of those background terms we, we don't pay much more attention to in industry. So it's going to be an interesting 12 months. Jeez, so it sounds like if I were to summarize, indicators of compromise trending down, indicators of coolness trending up. We'll, we'll check on this uh, next year when we uh, bring you guys back. But I want to pivot at this point to something that was huge in the RSA conference submissions this year. It's all over the news, cryptocurrencies. And, James, let me turn this one over to you first. <laughs> well, there's a topic that could take up literally the entire podcast and probably several more. Uh, but in the spirit of, of brevity, um, Look, I, 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 as I said for a long time, think there is something real here. I do think that these currencies, you know, represent a significant part of our future in how we in how we do business. Frankly, they represent a significant part of our today. Um, without getting into any kind of macroeconomic analysis or arguing um, about whether this is a bubble or whether John McAfee is is right in his rather hilarious series of ranty tweets about why everyone who isn't buying Bitcoin is an idiot. Ignoring all of that, uh, what I'm really interested in is um, the cyber criminals' interest in cryptocurrencies, which is growing stronger than ever, but changing. It started off very much being used for fraud purposes, um, for, for payment, really, for illegal services, for payment for ransomware. All that stuff still happening by virtue of some beneficial anonymity. Um, but what's interesting now is seeing cyber criminals focus on mining poorly secured wallets, trying to actually steal the coins themselves, scanning websites for exposed wallets, hacking exchanges, 
Um, even basic things like using simple web app floors to replace payment QR codes and wallet addresses. I mean, the, the diversification of cyber criminals' interest in cryptocurrencies is apparent. So I think this is going to be a mover and shaker for the next 12 months. That's about as brief as I can be on the topic. And last but not least, just small tiny insertion at the end. All too many conversations in cafes, in, in meeting rooms, of people describing how they're going to solve world peace using blockchain, the eponymous right once ledger. Um, as much as I think this is a really interesting area, it's going to be really challenging over the next 12 months as mainstream interest continues to be high outside of our community in this area to walk that line of embracing cryptocurrency and all the cool new ideas without applying the wrong tool to technology problems just because it's a fancy and sexy buzzword that we've heard. Query, can I say sexy on this podcast? We are yeah. allowed. It is allowed. Excellent. Okay. All right. Mario, over to you. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, so, I mean, the obvious fact is, you know, that you know, you know, cryptocurrency is beautiful. Who wouldn't want to save some trees and not print the cash and uh, convert those materials, definitely for coins, into anything that they would uh, elsewhere, you know, like to have? Uh, the real problem is uh, the maturity of uh, of something that started as a shiny new object is going to get only a bigger shiny new object. Uh, and really the speed of government of, you know, trying to uh, regulate it. Uh, in the sense of, you know, how we as a society relate to cryptocurrency, we can just look to the different uh, examples of uh, uh, Wall Street investment, uh, investment schemas. After all, we just had a crisis in 2008 that, you know, erased, you know, whole class of different investment vehicles, uh, you know, say, uh, uh, cryptocurrency, as we know it today, maybe one of those happen uh, in the future. And after all, uh, the fact that uh, users have gone private into generating their own cryptocurrency uh, makes us, you know, you know, look, you know, no uh, further than the private lotteries that were, uh, you know, so in vogue in the 19th century before the state decided to own something so simple and so uh, compelling. Do you own I, any Bitcoins, Mario? Do you have I'm lots sorry? of them secretly? Can I have some? Do, do you have Bitcoins? Can I have some? <laughs> well, you yeah, know, I gonna, if, if, I convince, I gonna... if I convince all of you not to have, you know, Bitcoins, then you know, I get to keep more. Is that a good strategy? <laughs> altruism. It's altruism. Actually, I need some Bitcoins to pay for these holiday gifts, and I would quote the price of Bitcoin, but that would date our podcast to this exact well, it wouldn't even be a day it would be a it, it would be a minute um it's, it's i'd say several seconds is probably more apt that's that's true <laughs> that's true tracking right in front of my eyes right now um so yeah so lots of good going on with cryptocurrency lots of bad going on with cryptocurrency and definitely something that that appears to be impacting us um heavily for the next few months so mario i'm going to throw um in the continuation of the the games um threat hunting Talk to me about threat hunting. We, we've seen in the submissions this pivot pivot in the security conversation from defensive to offensive. Um, how does this look the next 12 months? Um, so threat hunting has certainly been um, um, a concept of uh, choice, you know, for the last, you know, 12 months. And uh, it has been so abused that effectively it really means Search. You know, if you can do a Google search, you're effectively doing threat hunting one way or another. 
which is uh, really unfair uh, to those uh, investigators and analysts for whom hunting really means uh, aligning all kinds of different resources, logs, uh, textual binary uh, information, uh, and actually looking for binary similarity uh, relationships between you know, different you know, pieces of code, uh, and really doing that sort of gumshoe uh, investigative work that we would all on some level think uh, under uh, uh, threat hunting. So I believe that, you know, the, 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 the concept is going to be in decline because people will not know exactly what it is, just like they have no idea what machine learning or artificial intelligence really mean in a security context. Yeah, I, I, I think that's probably fair. I mean, I think there is where people try to live up to the term and try to structure the right, you know, process for intelligence gathering, the right tools and techniques, the right patterns, you know, where they try and actually live up to the term. I, I think there's some interesting behaviors, some interesting technology, some good stuff happening, but it does rather feel like a term to describe a certain kind of matured ways of doing kind of what we've all, always done. Um, so I do wonder if perhaps there'll be lots and lots of presentations on it, many of which will have really quite sane ideas in them, but slowly the term will kind of disappear into the background, as we've seen with, with many terms previously. Um, mostly, as Mario said, because it's quite a broad, ambiguous term that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. All right, James. Let, let, let me ask you this one, and this one could be a bit... Uh, a bit controversial, but it's something that has come up for years at RSA conference. It's included in almost every a big main stage speech on cybersecurity, and the term is security talent shortage. <laughs> the eponymous security talent shortage, one that is uh, near and dear to my heart. Uh, in fact, I've spent the last, well, many years, but three years in particular, trying to do something a bit different here. Uh, it's no surprise to, I think, anyone listening or anyone inside the echo chamber the security industry that this is a challenge, uh, although sometimes the shortage is overgeneralized um, because there are areas where, frankly, roles are oversubscribed. Um, there are other areas uh, where it would be drastically undersubscribed, and there is a bit of a naughty habit to compress security professional into a single role, uh, where actually there's a huge delineation of different skills uh, and capabilities here. Um, one of the things that really matters for me here is, as opposed to just going, we've got a shortage, isn't it terrible, is trying to actually start a bit more grassroots um, movement to, to change that next generation and get more people involved in cybersecurity earlier. If I've learned anything from all these different initiatives I've, I've been involved in over the years, various different cyber challenges and competitions, um, where I've met incredibly talented people, one thing they've always said to me is, I didn't know I'd be any good at this. I didn't really ever think about having a go at it. It wasn't something that I was told about at school. And, you know, through luck almost, we've ended up with them in industry. So for me, uh, one of the big things I've been working on is this, this kind of cyber discovery thing, uh, which is all about using games to get young adults 
to practice the skills in cybersecurity so we can get way more people interested in it at a young age, which will, at the bottom of the triangle, feed up to hopefully lots more people in the industry overall. There's lots of other important stuff that needs to happen there. Too many companies with a, I'll only hire someone if they've got five years experience without internship programs, continued importance of focus on, on training people and making sure skills are up to date. And that's, I think, growing all the more challenging with all these different new buzzwords we're using here, you know, um, making sure people have the right skills to secure Internet of Things devices involves a whole myriad of different architectures and software. So we keep saying it. We've got to do it differently. We've got to engage more people early on and through those careers make sure that there are good opportunities available. Businesses, organizations, all of us, it's on us to make that term not just something we say on the keynote stage of RSA, something that, that we all go and, and live up to day-to-day uh, -day, or it's really going to hurt. Yeah, great point. Mario, anything to add? Yeah, so to me, uh, shortage really means um, that you guys are really making awfully a lot of money, and you should, which I believe is uh, sort of in a wrong, uh, in a wrong angle to start, you know, with the, with this all. I believe that shortage in its own right is a uh, you know good step forward, you know, up prerequisite, you know, something that will um, convince the companies, governments, schools, people. Uh, that, you know, it really makes sense, you know, to join this field, that they'll find their life meaning uh, in security. So, hence, you know, I'm really not worried about, you know, this uh, uh, sort of, you know, discussion. Uh, if I remember correctly, this is nothing new. Uh, we've been talking about the shortage maybe 10 or more years ago uh, uh, along uh, uh, these lines. Uh, in the industry has expanded. The pool of practitioners has expanded. A lot of things have sort of naturally, in an economic way, uh, uh, been addressed. Yep, we seem to go through certain cycles of what the buzz is, what the discussion is. So, good point. Okay, I'm going to shift us to to a, a, a scary thing that kind of shook the industry. Um, well, there's lots of scary things that shake the industry. But, Mario, talk to me about not Petya. And is not Petya in the past, or do you see something ahead of us, too, um, from a geopolitical standpoint that might be even scarier? Uh, I believe not Petya, if studied correctly, is the shape of the future to come. Uh, and uh, really not Petya should be viewed as a more complex attack, not as a sort of a collection of, you know, poorly copied, uh, semi-functional or non-functional, depending who you happen to be. Uh, 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 components. It's sort of for the first time that we have a sense that uh, a determining attacker can in really rapid time, so we were talking here in low minutes, you know, from the start of the attack, that it was able to affect deception techniques where the security industry, the customer themselves, did not, you know, know what was uh, going on, and they were able to activate destructive payloads this time. You're not talking about uh, I'm going to ransom you for some amount of money. I really want the uh, majority of the assets that I want to be destroyed, destroyed. Uh, uh, without, you know, the adequate security infrastructure being aware uh, uh, from it. Uh, I also do see that, you know, these techniques uh, and, you know, playbooks, you know, will uh, expand uh, probably to, you know, 
even uh, less controlled you know, actors, you know, like you know, Iran and North Korea, uh, that will be looking you know, for uh, definite you know, damage that could have been done. Uh, in the Ukrainian case, we can totally see that you know, almost the entire country came to the knees uh, based on simply the, your normal, uh, natural belief in patching. You know, sort of with patching, you allow the updating, and that was sort of your first, you know, advanced uh, uh, mode of uh, uh, action. And so if this is possible in a really trusted way uh, to run a, you know, appropriate, deceptive uh, campaign to destroy the assets, uh, at that point, you know, we are really uh, in the realm of, you know, science fiction and all those crazy uh, fear-mongering uh, research projects that we've been seeing, uh, you know, at RSA and other conferences over the past few years. I, I think there's, I think there's a, a, a ton of sense in that, and I, I agree this is, this is pretty significant stuff as well. I, I actually, I think the whole Petya naming scheme caused us a great deal of confusion um, because not Petya relationship with Petya is really very skin deep. Um, when you get below it, there are some, some pretty monumental changes here. I also think it's funny that um, when you look at some of the behaviors that not Petya uses for lateral movement through through the network, it uses a lot of the things that we as penetration testers would would use, um, which I suppose you can look at two ways. One, it's validation that when we're firing up mini cats or using WMIC or PowerShell or so on, it, it's, it's validation that we're, we're doing the right things to emulate what attackers would do. On the downside, um, someone basically can the mini penetration tester inside, not Petya, for a bit of lateral movement. Um, and I think the destructionware element versus ransomware element is not to be, not to be kind of undermined or missed. I'm actually honestly surprised in following this, we haven't seen more copycat or more comparable campaigns. And I know, as Mario said, not none. I'm, I'm surprised there aren't more, and it's a wake-up call to the potential use of such malware blending kind of mainstream cybercriminal techniques with, shall we say, less profit-oriented motives. And as we connect more and more technology, more and more devices to our personal and professional lives, kind of scary the ramifications of how much access and how much impact these things could have in the future. So the specific campaign, um, you know, maybe less so, but the theme of the campaign, the, the political actors, the behaviors, all the things that Mario talked about and I mentioned, uh, here to stay and I think magnifying. Got it. Yeah, I would even call this, you know, as a really kind of like, you know, you know, symphonic orchestrated attack. This is for the first time you've seen there are multiple waves of, uh, of, of, of there are multiple waves of components and techniques we use all at the same time. I mean, compare that to the hacking of the DNC. It's you know, usually, I mean, usually, as far as we know, it was sort of you know uh, old school hacking, sort of phishing, established beachhead, had somebody logging in, and in a manual process, pivot around, look what they're looking for until they were able to grab the information. This was you know the, the deception, the first, the second, the third stage multiple outcomes, you know, all at the same time. Uh, reason we didn't see so many of them out there is because this is not your typical criminal uh, group behavior. Right. Right. I think that's – and by the way, can we just – can we strike that, you know, symphonic orchestra of, of campaign from 
from the record so that I can shamelessly steal it from Mario in the future because it's the perfect... Yeah, I love that term. term. I love that term. I just trademarked it's it. beautiful. I mean, you, you've got... You, you should because you've got Mimikatz, right. you've got Kirk, you've got Tommy Mick, Eternal <laughs> Blue, Eternal Romance. I mean, it is an orchestra of different components from the stolen from government high-end to the rudimentary, simple, we laugh every time we do it in a pen test, perfectly brought together in a symphonic orchestra. So, yeah, per- perfect definition, I agree. And I think we're going to see more symphonic orchestras, not less. So, so for the crescendo here, James, I want to take oh, you to well your done. unicorn. You <laughs> took us on a ride in the unicorn at the beginning. I'm going to circle back because I believe I have a solution, at least based on the submissions we've had coming in um, with what we just hit. I mean, we hit some, we hit some IoT, we hit some patching, we hit some geopolitics. Artificial intelligence. It's the, it's the solution, dun, the silver dun, dun. bullet. It is the unicorn that's going to save us. Talk to me. I wish that I had known we were going to discuss this term in advance so that I could Photoshop Mario atop a unicorn with a meme generator that says artificial intelligence will solve everything because it would have been amazing. <laughs> but maybe I can retrospectively do that. With an orchestra in the background, um, an orchestra playing. With a symphonic orchestra being thwarted by the super destructive waves being generated by the unicorn mating call. Anyway, um, so look, I, I think this is is a really messy, confusing area because there's a lot of people banding around machine learning and AI in the same breath, and they don't necessarily mean one or the other. Um, there's a lot of use of this term for marketing hype when what they really mean is building a database and doing a bit of analysis. But I also think there's some really, really freaking cool stuff going on here that is actually going to pay huge dividends for us in the industry. Um, so I've seen some genuine useful technologies, genuinely kind of interesting approaches that are generate different outcomes to traditional analysis. Uh, I, I think there is insight here, but it's getting really sticky with all the definition challenges with a lot of the, the kind of marketing hyperbole in, in many places. We're seeing cyber criminals um, go and employ machine learning. Um, so, you know, our machine learning should argue with their machine learning, which I'm pretty sure is basically how Skynet begins. So I'm, I'm going to say that this is a real area. There are real things here. It's one to watch. Uh, I think it will have consequence. I think we're just scratching the surface. Um, actual AI passing relevant Turing tests and so on, um, that, that might be a longer conversation. But nonetheless, real area, but with a hell of a lot of hype to watch out for as you engage in it. Mario, tell me I'm wrong and how upset you are about that unicorn image. <laughs> Obviously, you know, the, you know, hype is, you know, the, 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 the kind of epic, you know, proportions, you know, when it comes to uh, AI. Uh, and effectively, it is really sort of, you know, we are not ML uh, type of messaging. And you can say that it's sort of, you know, it's generational. I mean, and I'm saying the com- for companies, this is probably every two, three years uh, as the new generation of, you know, innovators uh, comes to the market where the AI startups are saying, well, you know, ML is so 90s, uh, let's do something new and better, uh, and call it, you know, AI, where uh, a lot of the techniques uh, and methodologies are not far away from everything else, everybody else was doing. Now, great thing about both, you know, ML and AI is finally uh, uh, starting to bring uh, uh, diligence, sophistication, 
in the dealing with security uh, sensory data, uh, be it logs, information, or whatever we need. We as an industry have certainly needed it for the longest time. I remember 10, 15 years ago looking at the coding practices of some of the vendors in our field, and you're like, wow, this is truly amazing. How can somebody uh, get paid you know, by producing this level of you know, technology? Certainly things have improved. And, you know, with MLA and AI, we are realizing that we need to uh, get better at uh, understanding what we have been all basing our decisions on for the, for the, for the longest time. So I see a uh, um, future in the underlying tasks, but, of course, I'm horrified by the entire sort of, you know, uh, uh, marketing or, you know, packaging of a concept that's so ephemeral like uh, AI uh, for the customers. Jeez, gentlemen, this has uh, been a most illuminating podcast, and I would like to invite both of you right now, and, uh, you know, your instant commitment would be greatly appreciated, to join us next year We will, where we will selectively play back small snippets as we see appropriate of your predictions. So are, are you guys up for it? Absolutely. Well, I'll conditionally agree, providing that the machine learning wars haven't generated Skynet and that we can talk about AI 2.0. But conditional on both of those uh, hilarious outcomes, yes, sounds awesome. Okay, okay. It's a fuzzy unicorn. It's a fuzzy unicorn dancing to classical music. It's going to be awesome. Awesome. Well, I, I feel like someone's going to work that into a presentation this year at the conference, and hopefully we'll actually learn a lot about all these topics in the various tracks in Packers and Threats as well. Yeah, I, I have a feeling that person is going to be you, James. And uh, and let, let, me, <laughs> let, me say, let me say thank you for the very disturbing uh, unicorn visual earlier. That's, uh, that I'll, I'll definitely take that with me for a while. And also, um, you know, great uh, thanks and a shout-out to Mario for Symphonic Orchestra. Man, uh, just, I don't know, the beauty that you find in uh, in malware and these attacks is quite uh, quite inspiring. But seriously, I re- really, really appreciate both of you taking the time. And it was a great discussion. We covered a lot of stuff. And thanks to our listeners for joining us for another RSA Conference podcast. And thank you, Britta. Indeed. Thank you all.